Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Progress Over Perfection Coaching Podcast. My name is Patrick Dedrick. I'm the founder of Progress Over Perfection Coaching and your host, and I want to thank you for listening in. Progress Over Perfection Coaching is a podcast focused on career management and development by offering insight on how to build an intentionally balanced and purpose-filled career. We have another entry in our Career Deep Dive series where I bring on guests that are living successful careers to have them share their insights, experiences, and perspectives on career building and development. While the overarching themes and focus on career development will be pretty consistent throughout all my guests, my aim is to bring on guests from a diverse range of backgrounds that can lend unique insight on a particular aspect of what makes up a career. That could be a specialization in a particular field or industry, experience with certain kinds of career events, or they might be able to offer up helpful advice on how others can grow their own careers. My guest for this episode is Clark Potter. Clark is currently a supply chain leader with Winnebago, and has a deep background in supply chain spanning nearly 20 years, holding multiple director-level jobs in a variety of industries, including high-tech, medical devices, private equity, equity, and automotive. Clark is a U.S. Army veteran, holds an MBA from George Fox University, and holds both his CPIM and CSCP designations through Apex. His profound commitment to continuous self-improvement is reflected not only in his professional career, but also in his personal life, where he maintains focus on ways to grow as a husband and a father. There's no shortage of content that Clark and I had to share, so let's not delay any longer, and let's get to it. Hey, Clark, thanks for the time today. I uh, really appreciate you and uh, taking in some time out of your day to come talk with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's been a long time. It's good to, good to talk to you again. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it has been a while. So yeah, good to reconnect. And um, yeah, so I think we'll go ahead and get started. Um, I think I want to just start by prefacing every everyone with uh, kind of why I reached out to you to begin with, kind of what really stands out. And I think... Um, one real critical point of inspiration for me in my career was um, actually a, the first conversation I remember with you, where we were both working for Oracle. It was about, I think, 12 years ago. It was my first job out of after getting my MBA. And you were talking to me about, you know, what's next? Um, so you've got your MBA. That's great. How are you going to continue to differentiate yourself? And you just had such passion and conviction around this idea of continuous personal improvement, personal and professional improvement that it just really stuck with me. And I think uh, for better or worse, uh, I, I put a lot of energy into it now. And I think I, I credit a lot of that to you. And I say for worse, because my wife's always asking like, great, what are you going to go study for now? Like, what are, <laughs> what are we going to lose you for months at a time for? So um, yeah, I, I think just thank you for that. And uh, again, it was just an inspiration to me and hoping to share some of that inspiration with anybody else that's listening. So um, no, I appreciate that. And it's, it's, uh, it's funny, you caught me in a really um, interesting moment in my life for, for a period uh, where the things that I had discovered and the advice I was giving were based on very personal experiences, really, in fact, some terror that was induced, <laughs> right? 2008 being very, very difficult and, and uh, me having very, two very young children, um, uh, a degree that, you know, and I, you know, I think I was halfway through my MBA when all that happened and how do I support my family and do it and, and make myself really more marketable at that time. And then as I discovered the benefit of learning, you know, 
more deeply into it and then getting lucky on hiring as well with uh, being able to work for a couple of people that, that recognized it. Uh, all that thing cascaded into, you know, kind of benefits for my career and being able to provide for my family. But boy, it was really close there for a while. I was terrified. I wasn't going to be able to, you know, two young kids and a wife, the stay at home wife at the time was, was uh, yeah, that was challenging. Yeah. I can imagine. I think maybe on that note, Speaking about your career, can you maybe walk through a little bit of, of kind of your career, wherever is important for you to start to, to kind of where you are, just uh, not necessarily like a resume read, but just what are the things that are important to you about your career? You know, uh, yeah, sure. So I think, you know, I started working at a really young age, about 13 years old, uh, various places, and I've worked at a lot of places um, and then joined the army my senior year of high school, left two weeks after I graduated. Uh, spent about four and a half years as a paratrooper and, and, you know, no combat or anything like that. I was in during the downtime, but people around me on both, you know, bookended and you know, either went into 9-11 um, or post 9-11, I should say, and then, or that, or, you know, participated in things like Grenada, Panama and, and uh, uh, the first Gulf War. So <clears throat> I got a lot, some benefit from that, but you learn a lot in the military. Um, part of it is, is they're going to kind of reset you. As my mom likes to say, uh, what the way I got straightened out was I sent you to live with your uncle Sam and he, uh, you know, he took care of you. Um, got out and I, you know, I just started going to college um, just to use my GI bill, get some money because they're going to overpay you. So if you're taking, they pay based on credits. And at the time, I think I was going to community college and, but they also make you focus, but you know, they'll, they'll send you to community college. They'll pay you, you know, 900 bucks a month, which by the way, was a house payment at the time, which was great, but college will cost you, you know, 150 bucks a month. So, you know, you pocket the difference and use it. There's a 22 year old to buy stupid things like a car, and you know, you know, take girls out. Um, but just, they, they made me focus. And at some point I looked up and realized I was close to my bachelor's, kept cranking it through. And around this time, I, I had held various jobs. I worked for Frito-Lay, which is really just supply chain distribution and not really realizing it. And then got into, somebody plugged me into a warehouse and said, we, we need you to kind of take this over. You seem to be capable and, you know, relatively reliable. Let's go ahead and do this. Uh, and just got into supply chain. And, you know, whether it was, I've worked on, you know, so many different roles, but up to this point, you know, working through, you know, getting my degree, going and, you know, being a buyer in a couple of places, becoming a planner, a master scheduler. I, think when you, I was the MPD master scheduler at Oracle. We were doing that contract there, rolling into uh, other places and having come from other places where at some point I've held pretty much every role in the supply chain. Uh, and then, you know, getting into TE and then uh, leaving with the boss that we had there who stepped into the private equity sector. And the thing, you know, spent you know, damn near a decade in the private equity sector. But the thing about the private equity sector is a year there is like four years anywhere else because you're going to parachute in and it's going to be hyper aggressive. They want to go in, they want to acquire a company and they want to turn and burn it within, you know, three years. Uh, ideally, get their money back within three years and divest and still have it, you know, come out where it's it's all based on multiples of EBITDA how many you know how much can we make our money back on and um you know the worst is getting caught with something for seven eight nine years because it just sits on their books and it's you know the return is just not there so where are the opportunities um and then getting into the role I'm currently in which is I'm the supply chain leader for Winnebago which is somebody that wears a lot of hats basically um whether it's you know ERP implementation stuff, which is a lot of the focus, logistics and foreign trade zone stuff, which is which is kind of new to me late in my career. I've never had to been able to deal with a foreign trade zone. And I'm loving it because I'm 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 just so 
angry that I didn't know more about it earlier in my career that now it's something, okay, I'm going to go learn this and I, I want to go figure it out. So, uh, and then currently working through things like um, heavy duty procurement. So, you know, I, I buy a, you know, Winnebago builds, you know, motorhomes. Jazzy, everybody knows Winnebago, right? Breaking Bad, which is not their favorite <laughs> reference. Um, but <laughs> it's funny, I'm, all the toys that they sell in the Winnebago gift shop, they don't sell the Breaking Bad one. As I say, do they, can people come in and order like the Breaking Bad model? Is that a No, thing? That's, it's the one thing they don't sell. But if you go into marketing or sales, everyone has the Lego version of, of <laughs> you know, the Walter White um, uh, Winnebago or they have a poster on their wall of it. So it's, it's hilarious that it's not really company approved, but everybody knows it. <laughs> but it's that ubiquitous, you know, even even other models they refer to, you know, as Winnebago. So it's one of those things It's like a post-it, you know, get the post-its or, yeah. you know, or the scotch tape or something like that. It's not scotch tape it's just tape but mm-hmm. everybody calls it you know that that one thing so so it's, it's it's working for that kind of brand and and just kind of seeing the capabilities of it and you know being in a you know i've lived west coast and you met me when i was Oregon. i left there to go to east coast maryland and, and uh, uh philadelphia and now i'm in central or north central iowa uh, of all places which my wife sometimes looks at me and just goes like i, I do not believe that i'm still following you in some case and, and at some point we're gonna to have to put me back and in, into a deeper civil civilization right uh, yeah because you know things like sushi that you take for granted that you no longer can get that you know you drive two hours to get now so in a landlocked state it's it has a different uh degree of risk than when you're living well, on the coast for sure yeah just 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 prep i mean i'll take at this point i'll take temper shrimp sushi right <laughs> <laughs> just to get the basics, just to get the flavor. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, but it's been a, it's been a journey. It's, it's been a lot of fun. I, I mean, I, I love learning. I've never walked away from a job and never got into it saying, I know it, um, but I like to reference it. But I think what really helped us uh, and in our relationship as we went was seeing how it could work. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you, when you get that kind of depth of experience and see the opportunities of what a working model looks like and recognizing what makes it work um, when in other areas where it doesn't, and then being able to take that forward. I think, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll use kind of TE as a reference when you and I worked there. Um, TE was probably the most capable uh, in areas like IVP and, and supply chain planning of any place I've ever worked uh, and continues to be the model that I reference on, okay, how do I, how do I recognize the gaps between what I, you know, current state and, and what I know to be a functional state uh, that really has real opportunity and make that work too. So, Yeah. I think one of the things too, that we've talked about on, on this podcast is the idea of kind of career changes and pivots and, and when you pivot, uh, I think we've talked a lot about um, in other episodes, kind of the idea that you might, be down one path where you think that this is the career that you want. And then you, maybe you come on a fork in the road and, and you go a different path. It sounds like yours, your career has largely been in, in one path within the broader spectrum of supply chain, but it's taking a lot of different stops and kind of, like you said, moved across country multiple times. Like those are still pivots I, I'd say, and, and deciding when you're going to move to different companies and different industries. What was the, kind of the thought process that you went through as a new opportunity came up or when you got to the end of the road at one opportunity and decided that you, you were ready for something else, like what, what did that thought process look like for you? Um, you know, I think there was, you know, we, we talked a little bit about some, some critical path items that happened. So I was laid off in 2008 and I was in the middle of my MBA. <clears throat> Work was paid for my MBA. 
And I think it, it back it up. It even started as I was selecting which school to go through for my MBA, because I think the, the smartest thing I did and the thing that I've seen, and, and you were the very, very rare unique case of somebody who basically rolled out of a bachelor's with a little bit of work experience right into your master's program, where I've seen many people come in with being educated, right, with that, whether the MBA quote unquote um, acronym or get in the classes, but not understanding how to apply it. Um, and the reason I went to get my MBA is I, I was really just losing arguments. And it's because I didn't understand the financial argument. My degree, my bachelor's didn't prepare me and really enable me to win the financial argument. And what I've discovered over the years is the financial argument is, you know, 51% of the argument. So if you can win that, or at least be able to speak to it. And I've had it now where I've been in a room with the finance guys and they're saying things and I, I counter it. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, you know, you're not supposed to know the recipe to the secret sauce. Um, <laughs> and it's, it, that's a very bad analogy, but um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of along those lines. But the other thing that I was doing at my MBA, cause I think you went to Portland state university on your, on your MIA, right. which, which is a great program. And I looked at it and it was, it was right at the top of my list. I was very close to doing it. Um, but the thing that I recognized is I came out of the military very blunt, I'm still M, um, but I was missing kind of some critical humanity side and, and you know, uh, between my wife and some of the other ongoing things, it just felt like I was, um, um, I, I just, I, I was lacking in empathy, I guess would be the nicest way to mm. say it, or at least failing to understand that I lacked it. And so I actually went to George Fox University, which is a Christian university. It's the number one Christian university in the United States. Didn't know it at the time, but they they kind of they did give me kind of a hard hip check into a different viewpoint. Um, and I will I'll even credit them with I didn't talk to my dad in years and ended mm. up talking to him halfway through that program. Um, so it gave me kind of a different perspective. Um, and and uh, you know, so as I came into meeting you. I had this completely different shift where, you know, I was looking at a degree as just a necessary evil. And some of the people I met in that program were just guys going through the, the motions, but there were some people in there that were just genuinely like, Oh my God, these are incredibly, incredible humans. Like I'm, I'm like privileged to be able to even sit in the room and, you know, have them on my team and, and kind of do that. And it, like I said, it, it gave me a different perspective that I, I really kind of desperately needed I, I, I was, uh, you know, I, I just walked in arrogant to everything and I, I needed to get that check. And so that helped out a lot. Getting laid off was a reset as well. Um, and, you know, I've got a great, I've got a great story about an HR director. I'll, I'll actually tell you about during that period that I greatly appreciate. And I want to make sure she gets recognized. I don't recall her name, unfortunately. Uh, I could probably dig it up, but there's a, there's a story there about something that's kind of critical to me. Um, but jumping back into your question, it, it's, it's the, where you focus on your career, what I've discovered in supply chain is it's really more, um, it, are you manufacturing or not? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so there's, cause supply chain is long, right? It's everything from logistics, distribution, um, top of the, you know, top of the chain, just getting things to, to a place. It is probably the most non-value added activity in any length of anything that happens. And your goal is not to, um, it, it's really just try to improve it to where it's, it's making it the least, uh, costly, if you will, right? So, um, and you do that through a lot of different processes, hard savings, soft savings, because, you know, having that financial acumen now, um, I'm able to understand things like the impact of working capital and what that means. Uh, but more than that, like activity-based costing time, like how long something sits, like would, you know, um, you know, on the floor, can it move a little bit faster? And that's where your manufacturing operations come in, how long it sits on the shelf, um, you know, and, and 
I think some of the things that have happened as I've learned these things is that it triggers my brain to think back to the way that I, the things I remember, like I, I talked about Frito-Lay and I never appreciated Frito-Lay and the sheer efficiency model that they have for distribution. It, it actually, I regret not knowing more about it and not walking through it. And I would take a tour to Frito-Lay in a heartbeat right now, where at the time I hated walking in that warehouse. I hated walking to that distribution center to load my truck. I hated doing all that work and seeing everything up overhead and thinking, oh, that's just mechanical. Now I want to go back and say, I got to understand how this works. This is this this is a game changer. You guys built this system that can deliver a box of chips from a quarter mile away to the back of a specific trailer. How did you do that? Like that just blows my mind because now I have a, a different understanding of exactly what that entails. And it, there's and one guy, one guy loading a full trailer with one guy loading all the chips on that side and they're shifting at a quarter of a mile in seconds. I mean, it's just zipping fast overhead. How do they do that? And at the time it was like, oh my God, this is noisy. I just got to load my truck and get out and talk. I just didn't appreciate it. And so, you know, when I learned new things about distribution or how do they do that, I, I harken back and I'm like, okay, how did they do that? And then I just start looking things up. I want to find out because, you know, I think, I think I've even told it to you, you know, good managers borrow and great managers steal outright. You're not really trying to reinvent the wheel. You're never going to reinvent it at any point. And if you can't just steal somebody else's design and see if you can apply it. The real gift is being able to apply what you learned that somebody else may have already pioneered and figured that out. Whereas everybody else thinks they need to come up with a new solution. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, that, to say it, I don't, the, the, uh, uh, you know, um, the new product that they think is going to change the world is going to open the new market. Mm-hmm. All markets are finite. If they're not new, you're not coming in with anything new. Um, you know, and so, so what are you doing there? So, but you know, that, that career pivot side though, is, is, you know, within manufacturing supply chain, it's all the same. It, it, it's, uh, what I've found in supply chain is, is that it's, it's, especially with any type of manufacturing and distribution, uh, the real key is if it's regulated or non-regulated, mm-hmm. um, because the tra- the traceability that you need on your products and what you need to do versus non-regulated completely different. Um, so if you understand that um, the pivots, luckily I've pivoted from regulated, like when you worked at TE, medical devices, highly regulated. That actually led me into a couple of different aspects of pharmaceuticals, um, mm. which was highly regulated. Um, and if you can work in a regulated environment, stepping into a non-regulated environment is going to be like stepping onto a beach after wearing a suit for all your life. And now you're in flip-flops and shorts. I mean, again, <laughs> hyperbole but you understand what i'm saying it's 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 completely different you can and you can take those good lessons because what i found in a regulated environment is is those standards can actually help you if you're looking for specific controls and if you can take those Mm -hmm. regulated controls and apply them in a non-regulated environment and understand the extreme that you need to do it it can change uh what you're doing from a supply chain traceability standpoint so that, that that's helped me a lot over the years as well yeah i think a couple of things that came to mind as you were walking through that kind of the, the two things that stood out, it seems to be kind of this, this idea of being present uh, as you're going through your career, like, like you, your example of the Frito-Lay, like when you worked at Frito-Lay, like you just didn't know and you were just kind of, it was just a job. But if you're able to be present and kind of observe and take in and, and take in the lessons, um, really kind of committing to where you are in your career, um, that kind of stood out. And then I think the other thing, maybe you can talk a little bit about this is just this idea of 
self-awareness. I think you, there were a couple of times where you, you mentioned just in that story, like, hey, I knew this. I knew that I didn't have the financial acumen or I knew that I was a little bit blunt. So you'd, you'd done that internal assessment of like, what do I need to go do? What, what are the areas that I have gaps in? And I think complement this with when we work together, I know that you, you had us do the, the strengths finder test, right. To, to tell yeah. you what you were good at. Right. So maybe that's, that's one example, but can you talk a little bit about how you, how you approach that idea of self-awareness and, and assess what, what's missing, what's important to go get, and how do you choose what to go after first? You know, I, and I, and I, this is going to be really hard to try to <laughs> at least qualify verbally to somebody, but what, what I've discovered is I think there in your life or in your career, there has to be there are very, very few people walk in completely open to learning and understanding. Right. At some point it's like, I know that, you know, I, I don't want to say the cynic comes in, but it's like, I, you know, you don't need to, you don't need, don't talk down to me. Don't, don't try to speak to me. Like I don't know this without acknowledging internally, I don't know this, right? It's okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I've said this before as well, ignorance is the most curable disease in the world. There has mm-hmm. literally never been a point in human, in, you know, that we understand in human history where all the information that you ever wanted to know is potentially there for you to get, right? You want to understand how to do open heart surgery? You can probably YouTube it. Right. I mean, and, and that to me is, is kind of mind blowing from an information standpoint. So choose what you want to learn. If, if it's all there, I like to learn with people. Um, and, and, you know, to you get back to the Frito example, it was the next company right after Frito was a company called Fleet Aluminum, where they made windows and doors. And I worked in inside sales. I started off at 10 bucks an hour, but it was office work. So Frito Lay was, hey, one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. It might work till three o'clock at night. I would go home, take a nap maybe get a, eat a can of frosting so I can go to school at night and then, you know, work, you know, go to school till 10, sleep till one or two, get back up, do the whole thing again. And, and holidays, it was, you know, you're going to work a hundred hours. Mm-hmm. This was office work covered my nut. So I was good at that. Let me get to school and get kind of that structure in place. But the thing that I didn't have was I didn't understand. I was, I was selling something or, you know, working inside sales and taking descriptions of things, something that I couldn't put in a physical aspect in my mind and I uh and they didn't really like the office people out on the floor but I managed to convince them look can I just go talk to these guys I, I just want to see can somebody walk me through it because you could walk through the showroom and see it but they're saying that they want these holes drilled to this height or they want this type of like they're ordering a particular type of glass and it's mm-hmm. like I don't what is what is reading the glass what is what is a you know a heat mirror glass or something like that so I'd, have, I'd go out there, can you show me this? And everybody out there was just, they loved to show it. Because if you think about it, these guys are actually building a very good product and they take pride in it. And they don't get to see what sales does. Like the sales guys get to walk through the finished house at the end um, with the builder or the owner in some case and slide the door. And the owner talks about how great it is. But the guys that actually built it don't get any of that validation. Um, and one of the suggestions that I made back then that we actually took on was, why don't we, I mean, we, we were making incredibly complex architectural design. There was one, I remember it was a, it was a pharmaceutical, privately held pharmaceutical company uh, owner's house, the CEO's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was really just a privately held billionaire. And he had a 76 foot wide door that was motorized, 12 foot tall. It was, it was the largest door I'd ever seen outside of like a stadium roof opening. Um, and it took us like a year to build it. 
Um, and it was like, look, let's get pictures. Like everybody needs to see this. This thing's incredible. It's amazing. Show every guy that touched it exactly what their hands wrought mm-hmm. so they can take pride in. We put that big board next to the time clock. So every time you're standing in line to clock in or out, you can actually at least see it, right? Otherwise, yeah. it's just it's nothing. You know, you work there for 20 years and you've never seen your product unless you're walking down the beach somewhere and like, that's one of our doors. It's too far away, but you can't really see it. <laughs> it's so, there. So that, trust me. It's there. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. At least being understanding kind of, you know, like I said, in manufacturing, somebody is crafting something. And there's, there should be a pride mm-hmm. and ownership into that for one. Um, but, you know, it, getting into that learning aspect, it was, it was, for me, it was seeking to understand. So like on the financial side, it was like one of the, I, I would just have conversations with these smart, oh, it doesn't impact this. Or, you know, what's going to happen is it's going to take a, you know, it's going to take two basis points off. What is that? Well, I don't have time to explain it to you. Okay. Can you walk me through it? Right? Nope, not right now. Like, go take a class. Okay. Like, I'll do go do that, and then then later on, I'm going to find out because there were things that I inherently knew, and I'll tell you something. It's part of it was, was my my internal competition, where I hated losing arguments. <laughs> and the problem is, you know, I have to. Know, but if I want to win, so how do I know it? I have to go find it. Um, and, and so, kind of understanding starts with that that first self assessment is it's okay not to know stuff. Everything, you know, when I hire and it gets into the strengths finder stuff, which we'll talk about in a minute, when I hire knowledge, skills, and experience are really just like low points for me because we're as smart as we've ever been today and tomorrow we'll be smarter. Those are all just temporary snapshots of time. If you're really looking to hire, you should be hiring only on behaviors because I can't change your behaviors. Your behaviors are inherent to you. Mm. I can point them out to you. I can say this is what I believe is impacting you. If you're not open to it, or if my approach is not something that you're receptive to, uh, or even if I, it's I'm, my my perception is wrong of it, it doesn't make anything because only you can change your behaviors. The knowledge, skills, and experience mm-hmm. I just provide the opportunity for you to checklist that, right? And I'll teach anybody that wants to learn. Anybody, you know, that's that's the thing that when you and I met, that I was always struck by is you know because you had a coworker who we I think we we're all still in contact and everybody I know we're on Facebook and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. She was a uh, smart, very smart, but she was like, okay, I'm done. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I checked the list. I checked the box. Now I want to kind of go live um, where you were like, okay, I checked the box, but what's next. And as I, as I, as we talked, you, you, you genuinely wanted to know um, mm-hmm. like, wait, how does this work and what do we need to do? And, and, you know, I think at the time we also had another coworker who I won't mention because <laughs> he, he was a lot of fun um, who like, you don't, you don't need to tell me this, like, you know, you don't need to tell me anything. And and I bumped into that in a leader back in the day that once told me, there's nothing school can teach me I don't already know. And to me, it was like, Jesus, is that what I sound like? Is that what I sound like when I say stuff? I don't say stuff like that. Do I say stuff like that? Like I'm oh, genuinely sure. terrified, right? And But also you're managing like 50 people and you're saying that there's literally nothing that any school can teach you that you don't already know. But I have sat in enough meetings with you to know, and it only took one meeting to realize that's not true at all. (laughs) So what you're really trying to say is, is there's nothing any school could teach me that I want to know, right? That's okay. And and that's okay too. But don't say that they couldn't. Like, you you know, there's a a fine distinction there and it it turns into that self-actualization. Do you understand what you don't know? And do you understand that it's okay? And again, Mm -hmm. that it's a temporary state that anybody could solve at any point, right? And as we, as we travel this path, I mean, it's, it's, you, you stop learning, you start dying because, you know, at some point the brain is just gonna, you know, it, it's, it's okay to be static, 
but acknowledge that you are and be aware mm-hmm. of it. And then, and don't act like you have to, or that you do already know it or, or pretend to fake it or do any of that other stuff. It's okay. Just don't know it. Ask questions. Right. I mean, it's, 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 it's human nature. And I think it's honestly the greatest thing that we can actually do because, you know, we're the only species that really can, but why would, why would you think you can't? And, and part of that's culture and environment. So, you know, the, when we talk about leadership, the thing that I always want is I always want to be able to know that people know that they can come to me and ask a question. And there's no shame in it. It's, and, and if I know it, I'll teach it. If I don't, well, why don't we let's go learn together? Let's yeah. go figure it out. Because now if I don't know it, you're asking me, and it's a genuinely valid question, I'm actually going to be like, okay, now I'm really curious. Now I really want to know too. <laughs> so that curiosity side, I think is, is important. But you know, when you when you mentioned the strengths finder, I think that's where we talk about the behavior side, right? Because that's all strengths mm-hmm. finder really is. And I think there's there's two really great aspects of strengths finder because I've used it ever since then, um, and I've administered it probably 500 times at least, right? And even to the point where like even my wife's work and her job, they want me to come in and sit down with them, and I'll do it for free. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't. It's it's just <laughs> one of those things. Like, and what I found with strengths finder and the people that take it is you get about a 10% hit rate where people genuinely look at it and go, this is something, this is this is great. I appreciate this. And the other 90% are like, oh, it's just one of those little tools. It's one of those, you know, you're trying to dissect with a little, you know, your you know, Hannibal Lecter, you know, trying to dissect with your little tool. Like, a, like an icebreaker event or something. I'm like, oh, what are your strengths? Cool. Neat. Yeah. 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 And, it, and, it's, and it's hard to kind of convey that. So what I found to be successful to get a bigger hit rate is, is that I sit with everybody for at least an hour. And I talk through examples of the little things that you realize that you do that you don't realize you do it. Mm. And my wife kind of hates it sometimes because I actually (laughs) mention a lot of what we do because she's got different strengths than I do. So, you know, there's four categories on the strengths finder and I won't go into them all here, but the the example that I used is, um, is understanding is that uh, what she used to drive. And the example that I always use is her driving and me sitting in the passenger seat were the most horrific things ever. And the reason is we just drive differently. And what I realized is that I always just thought, she, I don't like the way she drives. She doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. What I'm really saying is she doesn't do it the way that I do it. And at some point, you have to ask yourself, is that wrong? Mm. And in my head, you know, in everybody's head, it is, yes, because I believe I do it better. I do it. If I do it, I know it's right. But to be honest, not really. Because she doesn't hasn't had any accidents, so obviously mm-hmm. she's doing something right, right? She never had any accidents, never had any issues like that. Um, so what what's really going on? And and part of it is is that I look three to four or five cars ahead when I drive always, right? I'm high strategic, high kind mm-hmm. of input, so I'm always looking for data and information. And she's seen me and challenged it, like, why did you just change lanes? And I just literally point out the window and said, watch. And the guy slows down because I saw the guy five cars ahead merging, <laughs> slowing down. I knew it was going to happen. I got over in advance. And mm-hmm. for her, it just didn't look like. She watches the car directly in front of her. And mm. so she'll hard brake, speed up, hard brake, speed up. And to me, that drives me nuts because I'm seeing everything in her head. And what I found with her is, is that she is high um, she's high empathy. She's, she's high communicator. So she would pick up, like I would be looking ahead and see a car about to break and I would reach up and grab the, the, the old shit bar. Right. Mm-hmm. She would pick that up and get tense. She would, she would feel like something she was doing was causing my tension, mm-hmm. which in truth was kind of true. Um, but she would react to it and she would try to drive differently to please me. 
and I would sense her doing it. And I would get more angry because, you, you know, now you're driving less like you and less like me. And now I don't even know what you're doing. And I, what I just came to the sudden realization of is I am the problem. And what the, the culmination came, we were in, we were in, we were going to a wrestling meet for my oldest son and we were driving in Pennsylvania, you know, Philadelphia traffic, which is always, you know, great. Um, <laughs> I was just super tense. By the time we got there, I was frustrated. I was just, I was just carrying it with me. And she literally is like, I don't understand if we got here on time or doing, you know, like, I don't understand what I did, but she's genuinely uh, bothered by the fact that I'm tense. And it's, and that, that just, I just remember walking in from the parking lot and going, I have a problem. This is me. This is not her. She's right. We got her safe. We got her on time. There's no other issues other than the fact that it's just, I didn't like the way she was driving. That's a really stupid reason to be angry. It really is. Right. So so once I realized that I actually just took a step back and said, well, what do I need to do a little bit differently? Because it's me, it's how I'm viewing the world. Cause that's what the strengths are. The strengths are those behaviors of how we view the world. I view the world five steps ahead. I just do. Right. Mm-hmm. That's why I, that's why the supply chain works really well for me, but a lot of other things don't. Right. There's a lot of things that don't work well. For me when I come to that. Um, but, but I remember having that, that kind of aha moment and deciding, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to look at the road anymore. The easiest mm-hmm. way for me not to have that input is to simply now when she wants to drive and, and she always wanted to drive because she gets motion sickness. Mm-hmm. So she would let me drive, but she would have to pull over and throw up halfway through And, and to me, that was acceptable. That was like, okay, I'm just going to plan ahead and put throw up bags in the car. <laughs> 10 extra minutes, we'll leave 10 minutes early so you can throw up. It'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, I would, I would, I wanted to be there at three. I'll backward schedule 10 extra minutes for you to throw up wherever we need to stop, right? And throw these out, do whatever. And it was just, you know, looking back on it now, I'm just kind of horrified that that's exactly what I was doing. But, um, but what I did now is, is, uh, and I, as we started going to more and more wrestling, so that's really what it was these weekend trips with traffic that were, you know, being exposed to more occasions mm-hmm. for this traffic and this example where we're all traveling as a family to go is I just, I would just, I don't get motion sickness. So I would open up a book on my phone mm-hmm. and I would read. And if she asked me a question or talk, I'd look directly at her. I would never look at the road mm. and I would feel the hard breaks and the hard stops. And I would never look up. And I just started looking out the window and really just kind of enjoying the drive and looking around and seeing things that, you know, the things that you don't see when you're mm. driving because you're focused on the road. Um, as a passenger, you're looking around and go, oh, I never knew this guy parked his tractor right there. Like, that's kind of, oh, look at that billboard, <laughs> right? Um, and we would be able to, like, we couldn't go more than 20 minutes without arriving someplace where I was angry. And then now we can drive hours. And it's, <laughs> again, it's, 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 this is where the, and this is the example that I use for Strengths Finder, because what it really is, is me understanding my strengths and the things mm. that make me good, but also understanding the impact that I have on them and acknowledging that her strength is better. It doesn't make her different or, you know, just because we both, we don't get in accidents, but the fact that she looks at the road completely different than me, the mm. result is the same. doesn't matter. Right. So how do I manage my behaviors and how that influences? And that cascades into everything into how you manage people. You don't manage your entire team the same way. So if I have a team of 12 people that I'm managing, they all perceive driving differently. If we were all in the car together, why would I treat them the same way that I would treat be treated? So I need to manage myself first. And that's the the beauty that I love on Strengths Finder, it's it's not that I'm wrong, it's just that I'm different. And mm. if I can acknowledge that and understand it, but also understand the things that I lack, like like her and her wanting to try to drive in a way that pleases me, makes her drive differently. That's her behavior. 
And she can control that and she can choose not to do it, but it would actually just make me more tense because I would still be watching. <laughs> so the best thing I can control is my own behaviors, acknowledge that they're probably not beneficial in this environment for what I'm trying to apply here and just manage them. And that's, that's the key to it all, right? When it comes to management and leadership, that's, I think, is the number one thing is understanding, you know, exactly what your behaviors and the impact that they have could potentially have because it affects your communication, it affects your body language and you're speaking to people and people pick up, well, I've seen people pick up on my body language completely differently um, just because of the way I sit um, and, and, or the way I, like I lean a lot mm-hmm. or even how I converse and, you know, the fact that I talk fast, I think fast and it, it and it's sometimes I just ramble incessantly. Like I've been talking for the past five minutes um, <laughs> and, and, and it's like, you know, you've been a very great audience, but you know, it's, it's, it's the thing that I'm, hopefully I'm making sense as I talk through yeah. it as well. And, you know, some really creative editing on your part, hopefully it will, will be coming through. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it, like I said, that, that first part of Strengths Fighter, because Strengths Fighter is first, you know, test yourself, right. understand yourself. And then how does that impact others? And, you know, the, I think the third book is what it is on, on the Strengths Fighter side is, you know, go put your strengths to work. But there's another book beyond that, which is managing people with strengths. And what does it sound like? And so, as I, you know, as you get other people's strengths, it also helps to look in that section and say, hey, this person hears things like this. This is how they perceive the world around them. And it, again, it's, it's everybody's different. It's not unique. I've seen people with the it's identical strength set, mm-hmm. you know, obviously completely different people, but it's always a challenge to say, okay, well, how do they do this? Do I even understand it? And the first part you have to start with is I don't. I'm going to view it through my lens. So how do I understand how their lenses might work? I'm not going to see it exact. I just need to be aware of it. Be cognizant that this may be what they hear. This may be what they need to do. They want to vent. They want to cry. They want to throw a tantrum first or whatever the case is. Well, they're feeling things. They're feeling these and that's okay. It's not going to change anything. I, I shouldn't get mad at it. This is not how I view the world. And I wouldn't react to the situation that way, but they're entitled to do that. And so it, it, it's, I almost want to say it's a maturity thing. The other mm-hmm. side of this is obviously having kids, right? These kids don't <laughs> think the way that I do. That's the biggest transformation I think into a manager side as well is just now, you're, <laughs> now you're managing these little people with their own opinions and funny, they don't always do what you want. How do you get them to do what you want? So, yeah, I mean, they do, do they at some point start to do what you want? The little, little humans I've got, I've been um, asking for myself and, and friends. So, <laughs> so I would say that it uh, depends, depends on what they are. My oldest is very much like me. My youngest is very much like my wife. Um, so we, you know, we, 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 you do see those, those, uh, dichotomies between them. Um, what works best for them? Is it more of a coaching example? Is it more of a, Hey, let's have a, let's have a heart to heart. And yeah. I do, you talk to, you, and, and you realize it. And the thing, I think the thing that most people don't understand is they think these are all skills you need to go learn. And the thing I've always tried to explain to people is you guys do this stuff every day. You just don't realize it. Right. Like you and I have been sitting here and we've been breathing the entire time. And we've never thought once about it until I just mentioned it. And now you're going to listen to it for about 30 seconds. And then you're going to forget about it again because (laughs) it's inherent to you. You automatically do it. That's how behaviors and strengths work. So you just, you have to kind of get yourself to think about it for a moment. And when you do, you start to realize what your perceptions are on it. And, um, you know, and I can remember the first aha I had with StrengthsFinder was, do you remember, um, Curtis, and I can't, I can't remember Curtis's last name, but he, he worked at TE and he was one of the engineers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Big, big guy, football guy. Mm-hmm. And Curtis was actually a very good engineer. And 
him and I had probably three interactions where I was trying to figure out a way to hide his body somewhere. He was driving me absolutely insane. He was doing these things that, that I just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. I was getting super angry at him on his approach and his process of what he was doing. Um, and, and I can't even remember exactly what his strengths were, but I remember, you know, we had our top five hanging outside of our cubes always. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking to his cube. He had done something and I, where my office was, where my cube was versus his was about a 200 yard walk. And I stormed over there and I was just angry. And I remember walking up to his cube, standing outside of it and him seeing me. And he was always kind of very sedate. He didn't really mm-hmm. get angry or rambunctious or anything where I was like, you know, sheer force of will kind of person. <laughs> and I was standing outside his cube and he's on the phone. He's got the phone to his ear and he can see me. And I could just see in his eyes that he's not happy to see me. And I'm kind of secretly thrilled by it. I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't be. I'm, I'm going to teach you a lesson because this is, this is, you now piss me off to no end. And as he's on the phone, he holds up his finger and asks me to wait. And so I'm sitting out there and I'm just stewing in my own juices. And as I'm sitting there, I'm looking at his top five and I look at it and realize I'm the problem because how this guy views the world is never going to match mine. And, and I remember looking at it going, wait a second. And I, I was slowly learning it. I had expanded my knowledge of it. I've been reading the books and I've really been trying to apply it. And I thought I had it. And I realized looking at this guy and talking to him, I didn't. I completely did not understand his perception of the world and how he viewed it through his lens because of his behaviors and what they exemplified. And I realized that I was approaching him in exactly the manner that I would want somebody to approach me, which was incredibly wrong uh, for the approach with him. And this would have been like our fourth really like head to head kind of like mm-hmm. one of us is going to, it's going to be one of us is going to break and I'm going to right. make sure it's you. Two men enter him. one man, one man leaves. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very, very Thunderdome-y. Um, <laughs> and that, which is, which is really actually where I thrive in. In, in kind of that environment. So I was trying to make him come into the Thunderdome and he was just kind of, he would just sit there and let me beat up on him. And it, it would seem like I would win, but I would, could never get him to change. Um, and I just remember like stopping and looking and I just, it almost make, made me have to sit down. I almost got lightheaded like, holy crap, this is mm. like, this is wrong. I am, I'm doing this incredibly wrong. This, this is a problem and I'm the problem. And right there, I completely changed my entire approach. And I didn't like he he hung up the phone and I remember he was just kind of resigned because he knew it was coming and I and I completely changed my approach to him. And I honestly I was I was so triggered by it that I don't even remember the details of everything that happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. All I could tell you is we never had another problem again. And it was and yeah. I, nothing changed but my approach and how I thought he might think about it and how I could get him to do it. And after that, I not only came to respect him as an engineer a lot more. Um, I understood that this is not, this is the same for every, and, you know, again, looking back through the lens of time and saying, man, I've really had a, I've really met a lot of people that were really kind of a pain in my ass, buddy, the common denominator and all your failures is you, (laughs) right? (laughs) At what point do you think it was you? And then looking back and going probably a lot more than I would be willing to admit. And that's that, that, you know, that historical, can I look back and think, and and when you learn new things, it isn't just learning new things moving forward if you have a memory of it, how can I look back at it and go, it's okay to have regrets, right? We all do. I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done that. Sure. But they're all, they're all lessons. That's it. 
like, okay, so the easiest way not to repeat the past is to learn from it and then just make sure you don't do it again and recognize the opportunities. And, and that's where that opportunity with Curtis is I always look back and, and that was a, such a big thing for me. And I always point to it. And, and I, I really wish I could remember more of the details about it. I was just, I was disappointed. I didn't learn it faster. Um, yeah. um, but now it's like, I always try to take that setback and it changed my approach into leadership as a whole, everything. I mean, it completely shifted the paradigm for me. And I, and I think that's, I think you caught me right around that trigger and, and <laughs> it, it was a good thing because I don't think we'd be talking if I kept doing what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he was super impactful and then he was a jerk. So I never talked to him after that, but no, not at all. I mean, and I love that. I love that tie to that, uh, kind of that self-awareness and kind of um, self-accountability and bringing that into to how you lead others and, and understanding what people need. And you even talked about it with your kids a little bit is what do they need right now? Do they need, do they need instruction? Do they need coaching? What do they, do they just need to vent? So I think kind of that awareness too is I've found, you know, with managers I've had uh, yourself included, it's been super, super effective to, to come in and, Feel like you're getting what you need uh in the moment because i've definitely had managers yeah. where no matter what i went to them with they were always telling me what they would do like i'm i don't need to know i know what i need to do i'm just i'm just venting i'm just complaining about this this stupid situation right now i know how to handle it i just need someone to commiserate with so i uh, i really appreciate that as far as like a managerial approach well and i i, I think that's right too and what i found in building rapport with my employees is sometimes I like to vent too. Mm. And it's not a, you know, it's not, Hey, let's talk about the organization or something. Um, most of the time I'll vent, it'll be self-deprecating because I'm the easiest target, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm confident in what I know and what I don't know. And I'm okay actually getting shellacked if I have to, especially, you know, if you earn a shellacking, take your shellacking, um, <laughs> just, you know, accept it and move on. But, you know, uh, um, you know, I'll talk about various things on the weekend and stuff. And sometimes it's a little comedy relief. It's, it's, you know, just make fun of yourself around the stupid things sure. that you do. Um, you know, my, my wife works from home occasionally. And I was, I was, I tell my, I told my employees this story the day after it happened. And it's actually, I get excited about it because I think they appreciate this because they'd appreciate just how ridiculous I could be sometimes <laughs> um, as I tell them this story. But at the same time, you can counter it with, okay, they know that, you know, it's, it's, everybody's a person. You don't have to rule on fear. Like I learned that mm-hmm. in the military, like the, the, the first guys that are going to get fried in the military, are the guys that think fear is the way to do it. It's just not going to happen. Right. The people that you, that you go to, you, you, you know, you're going to go fight for are the ones that you feel you're, you're there with, and you know, will fight for you. And so, like you said, it's, it's part of it's flying air cover on your employees, you know, to, cause if they screw up, I'm going to hold them accountable. But if they mm-hmm. don't, I'm not going to let them take a heat round for it just because it's easier, yeah. right? It, it should go through me. And ultimately, I'm accountable for their behavior. So it's a reflection on if I'm not managing it. So if their behaviors are not being managed and it's having an impact on the mission or the team, you know, other teams, that's something you got to address. I mean, that's just kind of basic management side. Um, but the, the, the other side to that, though, is, is that can you be a human being with them? And, and I think the easiest thing is talk about your foibles. Right. I, I, and I, I make a lot of mistakes in group ballery. So, you know, the example I was using was like I said, my wife was working from home. I did not know because her office is in a completely different section of the house. I did not know that her company requires her to be on video hundred percent of the time. So if you were on a zoom call, you were required to be on video. Winnebago does not. 
So I'm rarely on video because let's face it, no one wants to see this every single day. (laughs) I have a hard time seeing this every day. So I don't think anything of it. But I have, I actually have two sets of headphones because I burn through the batteries on them so much. I'm on the phone seven, eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And well, when I'm working from home. And so <clears throat> I, uh, I happen to walk up behind her and I have my headphones and I'm in a meeting. I'm just listening and I'm in a good mood. Things are kind of going well. I came to get another cup of coffee and she's in her office and she's working. And I just walk up behind her and I just pull up my shirt. You know, I don't even realize anything's going on. I pull up my shirt. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you want a, you want a shot of the goods, right? You know, just being a sarcastic goofball, <laughs> like any husband does when their wife is just kind of sitting there. And uh, she looks at me, and her eyes just get huge. And I look at the video screen, and there's one oh, of her coworkers no. on the video screen. And his eyes are, and he, and he, he does. And I actually know him. I work with his dad here because it's small town <laughs> Iowa. And he goes, he goes, hello, <laughs> like very, very, you know, embarrassingly. And I go, oh, sorry. And I turn around and walk away, and I am just. Just, oh my God, like, what did I just do? <laughs> and, you know, I normally don't get embarrassed. That was embarrassing. And and uh, so, so, so she later on, she came down to me. She goes, what was that? And I said, I have no idea. You're on the phone. She's like, we're required to be on video 100% of the time. I said, I had no idea about that. Um, and <laughs> I said, I had no idea. It'll never happen again. And I don't walk behind. I don't walk up there at all anymore without, like, poking my head around the corner and kind of signaling, <laughs> which she thinks now is hilarious. <laughs> so... So anyway, so the next day I'm, I have my daily kind of tear call and I'm telling two of my employees about this. Let me tell you, let me, let me tell you exactly how my day went yesterday. And I, I described this whole thing to them and they think it's hilarious. And they, they're like, yeah, I could totally see you doing that. And believe it or not, I consider that to be a compliment, which is I could see you being dumb enough to do that, you know, but at the same time, it's like, it's not, an, they're not impugning my, my intelligence or anything. It's just, you make a human error. And, you know, they, you know, and then it just, what happens is suddenly they've got a related story. Oh, you're doing this one time. Sure. You're, you're, you're having that just basic human dialogue that shows that, look, we're all people, right? Whatever's happening, whatever you're doing in the world, you know, the fact that I'm managing you doesn't mean that you, we can't relate as human beings. And I think that's something that a lot of managers and a lot of companies because, you know, if you think about how man- management is actually created, leadership is done, most companies take the, the recognized best individual contributor of a, mm-hmm. a group of people and they shove them into a leadership role and rarely give them any transition, any training. There is very little coaching that goes on. It's mm-hmm. suddenly you're in charge of these nine other people out of the group of 10 because this guy left. Uh, and so anyway, I need you to keep doing what you're doing. Um, and also take care of these other nine people at the same time. And that's it. Right. Right. If they're lucky, they may shift groups, but some cases they don't, but at the same time, it's, it's, you know, if you think about the level of experience and and management that's required to do things like create a PIP or even administrate strength finder, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're not doing it outside of work, if you're not having those conversations, you're at least not trying to improve it or seeking to understand it at various levels, you're just going to keep doing the same thing you were doing before. And if you're lucky, it lines up with those people. Right. If you're not, you're going to suddenly have a bunch of people that hate you for no reason. And no right. one really knows why. And you're not having the questions and the, and the conversations and everything's impacted. And it just creates this massive turmoil from a personality standpoint, because no one told anybody that it is different. It is you know, having those yeah. conversations or what that means. It's okay to have that. Um, how do you maintain your authority in doing that is, is, is just something that just takes practice. 
Um, and if you don't, if you can't get that practice, if you can't get that guidance, you're going to, you're going to struggle. And then what I've seen is a lot of people who took on leadership roles who are actually capable, walk away from it and say, I'll never do that again. That was horrible. <laughs> and it, they just weren't set up for success because that's sure. how a lot of organizations work. So you yeah. know, that, that's, that's, that's disappointing because I think you'll lose out on a lot of capability of a lot of people. Um, but it's a calorie burn, right? You, you, somebody's got to go in and sit down with them and, and walk them through it. And that's why, you know, you start with right when they come in the door, let's sit down every, every direct, you know, person that work, whether you manage people or not, we're going to do strengths finder. The strengths finder for leadership is different than individual strengths finder, but at least you've got the foundation moving and then you have those conversations, and you, the dialogues, and you understand, Hey, do you want to do this or not? Like not everybody wants to be a manager either. So it's right. okay if you don't. That's the other thing is, is judging people that don't want to manage. I don't understand that either. It's okay. Don't. Right. Yeah. It's Not okay everybody to has to want to be like a VP someday, right? Like people can, no. people should have set career goals that make sense for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I've actually had people chastise me for saying that, which hmm. I don't ever want. I've, I've kind of reached the level I wanted to. Um, and, you know, it might be for different organizations, might be slightly different scope. But mm -hmm. I'm never going to be the guy that sits in the chair. And I know that. I don't have, I've seen the guys that have those capabilities and I've seen enough of them to know they're better than me at that, at that stuff. There's things mm -hmm. I'm good at. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm just going to be the guy that they rely on to get stuff done. And mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. Sure. Right. And it, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, and it's funny, you know, as we talk through this dialogue and the people that we were talking about, some of our previous coworkers, right? Yeah. Contact with, you know, and I use a guy like Tuan. I could work for Tuan and Tuan could work for me and we'd be fine. I could work for you. I wouldn't have any issue with it whatsoever because I know who you are as a character. And it's, I, you know, this isn't me having to have a different career than you or outrank mm -hmm. you because I'm older or we've known each other. You're, you're more than incredibly capable. So if that's okay, then why wouldn't I want to work for you? It's kind of stupid to actually limit myself to that way based on mm. what is nothing more than my perception of pride is how I view it. Mm -hmm. Whereas you know, would I really give up an opportunity to do something like that? I'd have no problem with that. You, if you, like, if you had the right level and I was at the right time, Hey, you want to <laughs> sure. work for me and do this? Yeah, that sounds kind of cool. Let's go in. Let's go ahead and look at that. Right. Why would I want to turn anything like that down? And so, you, you know, that's where you kind of leave the, the ego at the door and realize is the ego really driving you for that? Cause if it is, mm. you're going to have culture issues hundred percent of the time you really will. Cause your ego is a direct reflection of, of what the management is willing to accept, right? So that, that's that's where culture really kind of boils into, right? It's culture is is a uh, it's a direct reflection of what leadership is willing to accept within the business, mm -hmm. and if they're willing to accept wild ego personalities combating and fighting each other and making their orgs just kind of miserable, and you can go to HR and nothing happens because of it, right? Which is kind of a running joke. Um, that means that that's okay. They're okay with that culture. So yeah. how do you how do you you know now when I interview? If I talk to places, I'm less concerned about them wanting to hire me. I'm more concerned with trying to figure out if it's the right culture fit or not. Because yeah. if it's not, I don't want to work there. Because yeah. culture is more important to me now than anything. Sure. Oh, man. No, I, I, I really love that. And I think, too, uh, love the call out on kind of ego being another factor that I think people look at or, or that they maybe unknowingly cast a lens over when they look at a, uh, you know, potential opportunity. Cause one of the things that I've talked about in previous episodes is the idea that kind of your, your ideal career is kind of the combination of what you love to do, what you're good at doing, what you can be paid for and kind of like where you want to go. But all of that can be true. But if your ego is holding you back because it's like, well, I don't want to work for that person because they're 10 years, my junior or something like that. Right. Like that yeah. it's, it's an interesting 
like other dimension that sits on top of all of the other things that you might consider for, for an opportunity. So I think, again, just really speaks to that undercurrent of self-awareness in terms of that, that you brought up, like, what do you know about yourself? What are you okay with? What, what matters and what doesn't matter? Um, I think is incredibly yeah, I think, useful. And it's not even, it's not, it, just be aware of it. If you're cognizant mm-hmm. of it, if you're aware of something, you actually plan differently and you consider it. And you ask yourself, could I be okay with that? Versus the perception being, I would never work for that person. Like in, you you know, again, it's that breathing, right? By your behaviors, you're breathing, you're automatically dismissing something because of some preconception, but you're not asking yourself, am I breathing right? Am I, am I take, am I in through the nose, out through the mouth, deep cycles, whatever the case is, you're not actually asking yourself the right questions about it. And that's part of it, right? I mean, it's, it's, again, if you're not asking yourself questions, if you're not questioning yourself, you're not looking around. Even today, wondering, are they going to figure this out? Do they know that I've kind of <laughs> snuck in and I'm still, you know, you know, it as you, you get older and it'll continue to happen. You know, I'm, I'm 48 and I still don't, you know, I'm, no, no, that's not true. I'm 21 in my head, right? I'm just, <laughs> right. I'm just, yeah. I'm 21, but I'm super knowledgeable about, you know, certain things, <laughs> but you don't look back and go, well, that's because you got 20 plus years of experience in doing it, right? It doesn't sure. add up. The math, the math isn't there, so you kind of dismiss it. But at some point you just kind of acknowledge it and, and, uh, and I think that's really important. I think it's it's where that ego is. Now, what I will say though is is that there's not a lot of places I've seen where you break through in the C-suite side, you know, to where ego doesn't get you there. You have mm. to be almost blatant to it. But again, there's a difference between having it, understanding that you have it, mm. right? Um, so, like Doug Strohmeyer, who uh, TE Doug mm-hmm. was Doug had an incredible ego, but Doug also knew what he didn't know knew what he did and managed mm. it incredibly well. Right. I sure. always had a lot of respect for him because um, what he brought to the table and what he did and what he was willing to accept and not were, were, were very different things. Um, and, and I always appreciated that because, you know, I, I think I talked to Doug maybe a dozen times, but still in those, those little iterations, it was always very, very interesting to kind of, to kind of see those attributes. Uh, and then later on see him in other people, but also, also see that they're not aware of it. Right. So, you know, you get to a certain level, you talk to certain CEOs and, and in some cases they're like, you know, I, I hate to kind of point out the guy, I don't want to kick him while he's down, but Elon Musk, like, look what he's going through now. And just, you know, all the things that this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And, and this is what we're going to change. You watch, it's going to be great. Right. right? Just tanking hard. And it's, it's like, do you, are you aware of the effect that you have by doing something like that? And is it really your ego that's driving it? Whereas, I mean, was it effective or not? There were certain things you didn't like, but what you did is you, you know, is it going to get better or not? I mean, you know, time will tell, obviously, but it, it's yeah. kind of watching the effect that you've completely dramatically shifted the culture of that organization. And what are you willing to accept now, right? Because if it's, again, the culture is a direct reflection and you're saying that this is what you're willing to accept, right. you're driving a lot of people out, <laughs> what's going to happen next? And so those, those are kind of one of those work in progress, but that happens you know, it's, it's public for him. He's made it public, obviously, using the right. exact, you know, using Twitter <laughs> as a whole. But that actually happens on smaller scales every single day mm. across all these little businesses, right? You know, you got your you got your mom and pop shops that have two hundred people that might be doing fifty million dollars a year. That's all that still entails. All of that still encompasses family owned or small businesses or medium large businesses happens every single day. It happens even in divisions within some of those big businesses sure. where you know. 
what, what which culture and what differences are. So um, it, it's from an observational standpoint, once you kind of know what the puts and takes are, you can kind of watch it. But it's also helpful when you're interviewing, if you're going into those businesses and, you know, outside. And I think there was a, there was a guy recently, he was, who was, I was following his blog. And one of the things that he said was watch GE. GE was the place. Everybody wanted to work at GE. No one mm-hmm. didn't want to work. GE was, if you can get into GE, it was like getting into Harvard. Right. And, and because of their culture and what they did. And mm-hmm. now, now GE is kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm not really keen on going in there. You guys sound like a mess. Mm, right? What's sure. happened and, and what's derailed since and, and, and how it's happened. And it's, it's a, it's a very interesting reference to kind of watch because 20 years ago, I'd have killed to work at GE and knew I would, didn't have, I didn't have the pedigree. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have it all now. And now um, I would probably counter their offer with a better requirement. <laughs> right. Please, <laughs> because, please don't accept this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I would come back and say, yeah, sorry guys. That's probably not good enough. I know what a mess you are. And I'm, I'm just as mercenary <laughs> as anybody else. The more I have to clean, the bigger it's going to cost you. Right. right. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, 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 and obviously that, that sounds incredibly arrogant, but it's really kind of true because it's, that's, it hasn't just aids that shifted. That business has completely shifted um, and they've lost tons of talent. Uh, over the years mm. because of it and they're losing more and i don't even know what they're going to recover you'll start to see them especially if there's another downturn i think you'll start to see them really start to struggle in certain areas too so sure but. great so we are almost up on time but i want to also give you a chance to talk through what's the coolest thing you've ever done in your career and what made it what made it so cool like what's if you could pinpoint it to like one one event or activity or action like what really stands out to you? I mean, it's hard. You know, when you're a combat paratrooper, you know, going back in the army, it's, it's you know, sitting in the helicopter with your legs hanging out, you know, mm-hmm. doing the fast, you know, that type of thing. But getting into the business side, I would think it's, uh, it, I'll, I'll be honest, one of them is stuff like this, right? It, it just... I just kind of do what I do. And, and, you know, if it works, that's great. Half the time, like I said, I feel like I'm faking it. And then, you know, you call me and be like, Hey, would you like to talk? I'm like, why don't you want to talk to me? Um, but the, I, I think the, I think one of the coolest would probably be um, just, boy, I'm trying to think of a, of a couple different opportunities that I've had to, to kind of look at things. I think one of them, <laughs> this one was kind of interesting. I felt like I was thrown out. But for me, it was a great experience. Um, so years ago, when I was working in private equity, I took over um, operations management. We, we had to fire the operations director. And what had really happened was we had a piece of capital equipment that a company had ordered that was took 18 months to build. Mm-hmm. And the operations director had been telling everybody it was going to be done on time and come to find out <laughs> not only was it. Their team actually Ooh. flew in that Monday to figure out where the validation was because they were going to come in. It was supposed to be started. They had been told it had been started and worked. So they were actually going to start doing the validation on it at right. the factory because it's a, it's a very highly scientific piece of equipment that needs to be absolutely validated top to bottom because it made pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. uh, and come to find out this thing completely disassembled. Right. <laughs> so um, I started, and that was that Monday. I heard about it on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. That guy got the director got fired and then sure. I was told Wednesday you're taking over. All right, so I got, I got called Tuesday no night. tomorrow yeah. morning. Yeah, tomorrow morning you're walking in, and the number one thing I need you to do is take care of these guys because they are livid. 
And they were, they were, and justifiably so. Like I wasn't even, I was, I was somewhere else in a different aspect of the organization at the time, but I was, I turned into this, drop this guy in and fix it for 90 days kind of guy, Mm -hmm. uh, which is where I got a lot of really great experience, but also a lot of stress. I think at one point I was home, I mean, it was like 90% travel at one point Mm -hmm. for a while. So I I step into this, realize what's going on and really just be blunt with the guys. Hey, look, you know, we obviously had issues. We've got contract issues. They are actually this piece of equipment is so large they're building a building around it and they had uh, to stop construction on the building on the timing so they had all these trades and they were incurring daily penalties as well um, on the building so what do we do to stop reassess get everything built focus on it get them where they can come in and within nine days we had the unit back on track but it was a all hands on deck kind of affair um, got the unit back on track, had them come in. They had actually went and hired a private outside contractor to come in uh, who was responsible for this validation side, who was very familiar with the business. Um, and one of the best credits that he gave me was he was given the presentation after we recovered and we were doing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He's like, I will tell you that there is no way, I believe, I've never seen anybody do what he did, but he came in and he got this thing back on track <laughs> so fast. And then as a reward for that, my leadership team, which is everybody, because they, they're they the leadership of this business, which is a very large pharmaceutical company, had gone to the leadership of my business and said, you guys have been reporting on this daily and lying to us. We don't trust you. So now Clark's going to be in charge of it. He will brief it. Don't talk to us. Don't call us. If you call us, we're going to charge you basically $100,000 in additional penalties because we, we basically, it's at our discretion. We can basically hit you with whatever penalty you get. And it was, it was cranking up into high dollar. Yeah. So my leadership team has a prep meeting with me and they're like, look, we're going to send you down to North Carolina to talk to these guys because they are still really pissed. They've specifically told us they won't allow us in the building. And the only one they're going to allow in the building is you. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, no pressure. This is, you know, yeah. but I had a good working relationship. I've been overly communicated with them. Everything I'd said that I could do that I did and, and help them reset everything. And I ended up flying down there and having to sit in a room. So I am sitting in a seat with a table and there's a U table all the way around me with nine people from this company. And they, and we're negotiating. And the only thing they're asking me to do that my leadership asked me to do was try to make it cost as little as possible, like go in and, you know, do whatever you have to do, negotiate, do everything. And so I negotiated for about six hours on a bunch of things that we did back and forth. And ultimately we did a lot of aftermarket service, right? So I got prorated service. And this is where understanding the financial, the impact of the cost yeah. it has also understanding like, Hey, what's the normal support side? How many hours does it normally cost? And what's the impact going to be? But if I get this guy to do it, I can actually fly this guy down there, put him on site. So we're going to give them a different level of service than they've ever had. And they bought equipment from us in the past. And actually got out of there for uh, about $1.2 million less than we had, had budgeted Oh man, from a penalty cost. And it was exhausting. I mean, I got out, my back was just filled with sweat. <laughs> I had to keep taking breaks because they literally had my entire leadership team, the CFO, the CEO, and my boss, the, the, the COO, because uh, I worked directly for the COO at the time, were all in a room waiting for me to call. And I would call and they, you know, if they were doing something, they immediately stop what they were doing. And I would tell them, here's what we're thinking. Can we do this? And I'd just get their approval on the negotiations. And I'd step back in and I'd say, okay, guys, but what if? And I had taken a bunch of negotiation classes from purchasing years ago. And it was always like, oh, I can do that if, right? Mm-hmm. That's standard negotiation is I can't if, like I want something for something. And yep. so we would go back and forth and back and forth. And in the end, it ultimately worked out really well. Um, 
I, I got basically not a standing job offer, but I say, Hey, if you're ever interested, we'd be willing to take you. Like we appreciate what you do. Um, I, my, my leadership team was very appreciative, um, but didn't really pay me for it. There's, there's a, there's a different level of conversation there. Uh, they were just really happy that, that I came in under budget. And to me, it was just a win. Like, look, yeah. I solved the problem. Um, it, it was, it was pretty cool. It was dealing with a multi-billion dollar company of, of somebody who really could have, they could have really, uh, impacted us in a way that would have set us back years. Mm. Uh, and so very shortly building that relationship, earning their trust very quickly, executing what they need to get done uh, and taking out all the stops to be able to do it. Um, and then just being able to, to kind of work through it and, and not get angry about any of it. Right. It's, that was, I think the big thing was, you know, it's nice coming in from the outside that, you know, years ago I used to get angry at all this stuff. And now it's just such a, such a, it's an emotion that serves no purpose in some cases when yeah. it comes to work, right? You got to, you got to leave it. So they were frustrated and angry, but I was able to just kind of talk them down. Uh, and my leadership, luckily, uh, uh, and, and honestly, I was, I was kind of surprised that one or two of them survived. I think they should have. Um, based on just kind of that, uh, the, the guy that they scapegoated was one guy, but really probably should have went a little higher. <laughs> uh, I mean, both me and my boss were new there. This was we were like less than forty-five days in, or something, I think something like that on that on that division side. So, but yeah, that, I think that was one of the cooler things I did that I look back at. I was I was I was pretty happy. I don't even think that that's listed on my resume or anything like that. That was just one of those. I was able to go, you know stop a disaster from happening and, and everybody walked away not exactly happy but sated i guess would be the yeah way to say it, so. yeah diffused a, a pretty <laughs> contentious situation and i think too uh, awesome that like you were able to put all of the experiences uh or not all but you know experiences from your past like to use uh like you mentioned those negotiations classes and everything so yeah actually helped me out a lot um because <laughs> you know just just kind of stand even but yeah that, that kind of conflict resolution i think is is especially when you come in from a conflict you're not the guy doing it mm -hmm. um, um and, and just trying to manage it and and you know, <laughs> it was, it's, part of it might be actually coming from parents of divorce and you're like trying to be the, the, the young oh, mediator yeah. between the two. Hey, let me, let me, okay, no, it's okay. You don't need to be angry. You don't need to be angry. It's just, you know, it just is what it is. I'll be fine. I can eat. Oh, well, you know, sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and, and that's, you know, that, that's the type of thing that I think that as you look back on, you know, everybody's got a story, everybody's walked the path, uh, you know, always acknowledge that somebody, you know, somebody else may have walked a different path, but it doesn't mean mm. that the results different. It could be different. Um, you know, I, I look at my kids, my, I told you my oldest is, is my oldest is a lot of me, but he's actually in a lot of ways better than me. So mm -hmm. his ability to be social and relate to people to be kinder, right. I'm a cynic. He's, he's kind of his default method is kindness. Um, and I, you know, I think that's a lot of byproduct of his mom, but at the same time, it's, it's also acknowledging he's walked a similar path, right? He's getting a lot of my experience because I make sure I force it on him. Um, <laughs> at the same time, he's also like getting different experiences and, and that's, that's everybody. Everybody's done a lot of different things. And, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's always, like I said, just the, the, the lowest, I don't care if it's the janitor or whatever. I mean, I've got a bunch of people working for me that never went to college. They're all in many cases that are all you know, farm personnel, they've, they've all, Hey, we, you know, Hey, I got to leave early today. You're bringing the corn, which is actually sure. a conversation I've had. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, which is, or uh, my other favorite is I have plenty of people whose spouses are elected officials. 
because it's very small towns and they're the county recorder or something like that. So we're, we're counting votes and we're out there stumping, we're nailing in signs and like so many people, I, one of my people, you know, I'm, I'm running for county recorder because this person's retiring and oh, we're running against the person who works in the other department, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, how do you support that? And it's, it's, it's like, you know, you know, I, I remember she was, she told me she was running and I said, well, if, if the only thing I can do is support, I can't vote for you you're in a different county, um, but I'm going to support whatever you do. And if you've been here for 20 years and it turns out you leave because of it, I'm going to hate it, but I'm going to live with it and I'm going to support it. And I just, how can I do the best and, and uh, just make sure, cause you know, that's the, I think that's the other side. I think you and I actually experienced this where you were, you were looking for more than I could provide in the area with which I managed. And you were, you were, you know, you were jumping to a different business and I was your reference. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember having a conversation with that recruiter where she was just flabbergasted, like, like, okay, like something's going on here. Like he put you down <laughs> as a reference. You're his boss. Why are you referring is Well, simple fact is he's a talented guy and the runway that I have available for him really is the job that I'm currently in. And I'm really not looking to vacate it and where that chain goes <laughs> and if there's other opportunities that are there, but if you have to go external to be able to find it, let's do it. How can I support that? Right. Because it's, it's ultimately, it's not about the individual loyalty, the business or to me, you got to look out for you. And if I can support that, then I will. And I, I, I it took me about 15 minutes to convince her that I wasn't trying to like dump you off. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, tell me how he's broken. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, unfortunately, my sense of humor is, boy, I should really make up something like, well, you got caught stealing ice cream from kids, and we, just, we don't accept that here. You know, <laughs> something, something silly. Um, but you know, it, it was, uh, yeah, and, and, and I think that's that's how I would want my boss to be, right? Yeah. And, and I've had more bosses than not that, you know, even I think I told you about an interview I had where the guy was, he asked me a question, where do you see yourself in five years? And I said, oh, teaching, you know, doing this, consulting, doing a little bit of this. I don't really have any plans for it, right? My answer was because my answer was either in his job or still at the company, he blacklisted me. And I thought that was really kind of interesting. I was like, well, maybe I don't want your job. Right. You know, I thought about that. I, and I didn't, I still don't. Um, and, and I also like, you know, if at the company or not, I mean, really what kind of answer are you looking for? And are you willing to eliminate somebody because it's, it's a very specific thing that you would say. And I always, I always thought that was very interesting kind of approach. What do you yield out of that? And what do you miss because of it? Right. I, yeah. I think because because um, and I and I remember actually getting feedback from everybody else in the interview, and they were all thumbs up. He was the only guy that blacklisted me. Huh. And 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 uh, you know, finding that out later, which I which I thought was kind of interesting, because I had in with the with the organization and understood who who did what. Everybody signed off on me for the role except for him, and he was the ultimate decider because it would be reported to somebody that reported to him. Mm-hmm. And because it was in his chain, um, and and again, it was that just that one answer uh they did it which i which i thought okay that's that's a really interesting kind of approach but again everybody's different i I wouldn't i I would i would base my hiring off of that but again (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely well cool clark thanks so much for your time this has been this has been great i feel like we've scratched the surface so if i come knocking again i'd love to to chat more there's there's stuff we didn't necessarily touch on that uh no could get a lot of content from you on a lot of good yeah, insight. Uh, more than willing, actually, a lot of fun. It's kind of bringing me back down memory lane in some cases. <laughs> and like, oh my god, did I really do that kind of thing? Um, but no, it's it's been good. I'm I'm really proud of you, man. I think I think this is really kind of cool, and I think it's uh, you know, it, it's I always appreciate anybody that can do something that I find interesting, but I wouldn't be able to do myself, and I know I wouldn't be able to do this. <laughs> I could definitely participate. I could fill up you know minutes for you, obviously, as I as I 
<laughs> solely demonstrated, but it's, uh, yeah, I'm more than willing to talk about a lot of these things just because I'm just passionate about it. I think it's, I think it's kind of neat. I think it's interesting. I think there's a lot of that information out there. I think, I think management can successfully be taught. I think it is something that people can learn. Um, as long as you acknowledge that maybe you don't know it, maybe there is something to learn. And, and if there is, then where do you find it? Right. Yeah. I think this is, this is a good forum for it. Reading is a good forum for it. There's tons of information out there. You've all been to Barnes and Noble, I would assume, and seen the, <laughs> half the section is, you know, business and, right. you know, what that does and, and uh, you know, understanding the basics and, and uh, even, even just basics of hiring interviewing. I, I, I was doing some mentoring on uh, exiting military veterans on the basics. Hey, how do I turn my experience into a resume? It's not going to look, no one's going to understand. That's not true. I can yeah. write a resume and make it, you know, I can take everything that you've done and make it seem like, you know, you're, you're, you're the next, uh, you know, George Soros, whoever your, your guy is, your <laughs> Elon Musk, if that's what you're looking for. Right. Um, because there's a lot of guys that actually have that capability. And, and, you know, we didn't touch much on the military side by hiring because, you know, you came to the TE where 90% of the leadership was ex-military. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which still to this day is, is I've seen goods and bads to that. Right. But uh, maybe we can touch on that at another time because I know you're at time. But yeah. Any, anytime you want to talk, just let me know. That'd be great. I no, really appreciate it, Clark. And that about does it for this episode. I hope that some of what Clark shared is able to help you in some way, either through inspiration for how you might pursue your own career or through some direct advice that you can put into action. To be honest, an hour and change really didn't feel like enough with Clark. And there's so many more topics I wanted to go deep into that I think he can really shed some unique perspective on. You can bet on at least one future episode to feature Clark again. As always, if you have any thoughts or questions about this episode or ideas you'd like to hear covered in future episodes, you can send them to me at patrick at prgscoach.com. Also, if you have a unique career story of your own or feel as though you have something to offer the world as far as career development advice goes, I'd love to hear from you to see about having you on a future episode of our Career Deep Dive series. And with that, I'll sign off with a certain type of perfection can only be realized through a limitless accumulation of the imperfect. Thanks again for listening in, and we'll talk more in our next episode.